2: and welcome back to another episode of the Storybox Podcast. My name is Jay Phantom, and this week we're talking about lots and lots and lots of food. That's right, you heard me correctly, because we got Sir Isaac Eats A Lot on the show and his wife, Sammy, eats a lot. Uh, They talk about competitive eating, well, Isaac talks about competitive eating, eating a lot of burgers, what it takes to eat a lot of burgers, uh, his life, in eating a lot of burgers, uh, it's a lot of fun, that aspect of it. But then we get into the more serious uh, side of things with talking to Sammy and what she's had to go through, what they've all had to go through, really, as a family. It is quite an inspiring, challenging, and, and moving story. So uh, this this week on the show, I'm delighted to have them both on. They've actually become quite good friends of mine now, so really appreciate Isaac actually you know coming on the story box and you know we've actually been able to form a friendship from this so he's been really supportive of the story box so thank you so much for doing that Isaac um shout out to you once again um but he's got quite a big following on on Instagram for what he does and he's very very good at what he does as well uh and Sammy at the same time um she has her own journey. So, I, I encourage you guys to really listen in to this week's episode of the Story Box. So, let's dive in to the Story Box and hear Isaac and Sammy talk about their story. So, Isaac eats a lot and Sammy eats a lot as well. Thank you so much for coming on the Story Box podcast. Have you been knighted yet? Because <laughs> the amount of food you wow, eat, I'm curious. <laughs>
1: I've been on my knees a few times, but <laughs> usually it's doubled over with stomach pain, so not, not getting a, a sword on the shoulder, but I'm waiting for the letter in the mail. Certainly.
2: I'm sure if the queen saw your Instagram page, she'll be definitely like... She's looking br- for a new Prince spot, right? It, it's
1: vacant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who left? Prince Prince Harry. Prince Harry, yeah. One for another redhead. I'll just slide right in there. It's all good.
2: <laughs> That's good. So, if you could please introduce uh, introduce yourself a little bit more. So what you do for a living, why you do it, how it all got started, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Um so uh, I was a, a trained pastry chef and I was working in pastry just posting sort of pictures of of chocolates and and cakes and stuff. Instagram at the time was very fresh, so it was really just sharing anything and everything. And then my hobby was competitive eating. So oh. I would post these cute little uh, very precise chocolates three or four days a week and then on a weekend I'd post a big stupid like 15 patty cheeseburger.
2: And you ate the whole thing?
1: Yeah, so at the time like oh, I God. was, it was literally like I all I did was work and do the competitive eating stuff so I was decent at it and that's obviously where the name Sir Eatsalot came from like as, as competitive eaters it's a bit like wrestling, we all had like moniker type character yeah. roles um, and I always ate quite, Uh, When you see some other competitive eaters, it's quite a monstrous, vicious thing. I always ate quite reserved and so I kind of got like the gentleman's tag, which is where Sir Eatslot comes from. Ah. Um, So once it it was really like as Instagram really blew up, like it kind of went a bit like TikTok is now five years ago, I was posting these pictures and I was just fortunate enough that it kind of took off. It Mm -hmm. got traction. I was one of the few people... Doing competitive eating and using social media, like they've always been competitive eaters, but just the now st- to capitalize on a on an app as it as it launches. And so, a, a few friends and I, we're all in the same boat. Uh, Instagram really kind of like hit us. We got swooped up in the euphoria of getting likes and whatever clickbait. So obviously, <laughs> then we eat or ate more, posted more, ate more, posted more. Following just grew. Grew and, and it grew quite exponentially, like for the first couple of months, and it shocked us and, and whatever. But from there, it was easier to build a reputation, and from a reputation, monetize it, and from monetizing it, start a business. So wow. that's that's kind of the cliff notes version of how I got from pastry chef to. So, what made you want to be
2: an actual pastry pastry chef? Uh,
1: always loved food. Always always loved eating it. I guess I kind of liked making it, but eating it's better as as I know now that I've moved really? away from cooking, but it was just a, a love of baking. I, I took six months off from, I started at university, took six months off for a gap year and just started baking cheesecakes and, and a few other sweet things and then went on a family holiday to Europe and kind of really just fell in love with the culture of it. And the, I guess the... Not not the love of it, but just the appreciation. In Europe, there's a lot more appreciation for the art of pastry making. Yep. Australia, we just see it as sustenance and a means to eat. Yep. But uh, that's certainly like why I got into pastry.
2: Well, nowadays, it's picking up because of social media has been a huge help. Like I've found like cafes and restaurants and all that sort of stuff in terms of with pastry as well. They put post a photo. It looks insane.
1: Oh, yeah. Like... It,
2: I want to actually eat it. And some of the photos that you post as well, I cannot I cannot believe that you eat all that. <laughs> How do you do it? Like what's the secret?
1: Uh like I, I I look like I eat a lot of food and I do in a small period of time, but in reality, and and Sam can like attest to this, I will go through periods where I might not eat any food for two or three days. Wow. So it's, it's I always look at instead of like a daily breakdown of calorie intake or how much I've eaten three square meals, I always look at it as sort of over a week and I probably consume the same amount of food as an average person. It's just, I eat all my food between nine and three, five days a week. So I might go out and eat four lunches on a Monday, but I haven't eaten anything. So it's spaced out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, to be honest, it's it's not that I deliberately do it that way. Living in Campbelltown and, and Sydney's traffic the way it is, it's just to suit my job and my lifestyle. It's better off clustering things. So I will if I'm gonna eat, it's a big day. But then two days a week and de- deliberately two days a week, 48 hours, I just detox and eat nothing.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that part. So I was always curious to know how people actually did it, like competitive the balance, eaters. Yeah. yeah, the balance just trying to find it, like the calorie intake and that sort of thing. Because if I was to do it, like I know my metabolism is quite slow. So like I wouldn't be able to eat that much food in yeah. one in one sitting because it'd like literally to give me a heart attack or my, my, my kidneys or my entire bowel would <laughs> literally rupture. So when you first started, was the demand quite big? Like was there a lot of people actually Doing competitive eating? Or?
1: Nah, look, when when I first started, like obviously man vs. food, Adam Richman had made it hugely popular in the States. Yep. And I reckon going back almost 10 years now, like 2010 was when that American culture really started trending in Australia. We started getting more cable TV, more access to streaming online and this sort of thing. And so there was always a gimmick element to it where a pub in the Outback would do a big burger or... Uh, an American-style diner would have a hot dog challenge, but I think the bulk of the public, and even to today, like ten years fast-forwarded with social media and stuff, the bulk of the public still kind of find it squeamish. Mm. They love it and they hate it, and it's and it's polarizing. I know it's it's confronting. For, I, I'm water off a duck's back to me. So if I'm eating something stupid and twenty-five people stop and stare, I, I really don't care. But for a lot of people, that makes them uncomfortable and stuff like that. So when I started, it was quite difficult to find challenges and venues that would be willing to do it because they were worried about the effect it would have with their regular customers and sales and stuff. Now I think you could go to almost any venue and, and particularly if you went to them with like a, a good pitch a solid background of why you think it would work, most places would implement a food challenge. And you you can look around Sydney. Some of them aren't as well-known as others, but certainly uh, like I could rattle off 10 or 15 right now that the average Joe could go and have a crack at.
2: So where do you find these places? Like you just look through Instagram, you just drive around. Like cause I know in the early days, like there weren't many cafes or restaurants actually putting themselves on social media. So how did you actually, actually go about finding those places?
1: I was I was really fortunate like cuz I had the the persona of being a competitive eater like I got a lot of stuff secondhand people would find out about it cuz it was their local but they weren't competitive eaters or would never do it but they would send it to me or share it to me or my friends that would then pass it on to me in this in this modern day it's it's so much easier like whether you're looking at hashtags or um other competitive eaters because there are a lot more on social media now there's there's an australian sort of body that regulates and and helps coordinate with websites and stuff dates and and where you can find these sorts of challenges but it's it's also just i think having the I've, i've always been like a scheduling nazi like we're about to go on a holiday to melbourne and i've already got three days lined up with five venues each day and logistics and transport so i've always had a an acute awareness on sort of how to look for things and where to find them. Wow. And it's just searching certain key terms or you know that a certain style of place is more likely. Pizza, pasta is easy to do competing. Yep. Ice cream places, it's easy to do competing because food costs are relatively low and you can bulk it out. Yep. You're never going to find a, a food challenge really at like a high-end steak place or... Um, <laughs> I wonder
2: why. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just cost of, cuz course, barbecue places won't do it because the, the labor it takes to produce the food, they won't get ROI on doing it. But mm. for someone to like, it's no harder to cook three kilos of pasta than it really is to cook a regular serve. It's the same pot, the same water.
2: Yeah. So have you found that with the meat side of things, what do you prefer the most with, in terms of challenges? Do you like doing the pizza pasta ones or
1: because
2: um, I know you got a lot of burgers yeah, yeah. Which Look, is pretty burger, insane. The like, reason
1: I love burgers, burgers are like a nutritional pyramid in your hand. Like there's carbs, meat, fats and dairy, fruit and veg, grains. it you to put
2: the fruit and veg on there. Nah, yeah.
1: Pickles, pickles. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a vegetable. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny. Like I think they all, none of them are easy. None of them are harder. It's just learning the strategy to attack them. Meat will probably fill you up faster because it's a protein thing and and your metabolism processes it slower carbs and particularly like refined carbs white breads and stuff process really quick and and so but then you get like uh, blood sugar spikes and, and insulin levels and stuff and also the issue being eating the food's not always the biggest challenge sometimes it's if you've consumed three kilos of food say it's meat very high in sodium once you're finished you are thirsty like thirsty and so the first thing you want to do is drink water or drink fluids now keeping the three kilos of food down is fine you add a liter of water on top of that and it's struggle street or carbs absorb water so you eat three kilos of pasta or or pizza with heavy crust and you're there those ones are harder to swallow because obviously like the the carbohydrates also dry your mouth So then you're consuming liquids at the same time to help you eat it and it's just what you picture versus what would be actually in your stomach are two different things because it just gets heavier and and bigger.
2: So how do you get past that mental barrier of actually continuing to eat this food? Because I know it's going to be very, very hard. Like once you reach a certain point, you're sort of getting fatigued, the food's starting to hit you. So what's going through your mind as the food's hitting you?
1: Usually it's like probably, probably 50-50 fear of fear of failure. Um, certainly when I first got into competitive eating, like I didn't have heaps. I was living away from family, away from friends, didn't have a heap going for me. And so the sense of accomplishment, the sense of pride in winning something when it was an individual effort mm. Um, was really satisfying. And I, I think it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're starting out first ever challenge or there's some guys in Australia that are doing three, 400 in their career now, it's still a fear of failure and a sense of accomplishment that, that really drives you. I always, I always, when I'm referring to competing, it's kind of like marathon running. I'm sure marathon runners haven't run 25, 30K and go, I feel great. Like it's a walk in the park. <laughs> there's There's a pain barrier. And it's just about mentally thinking about what's in front of you and sort of like not what's behind you. Mm.
2: So has it been, what's the most challenging thing you've ever had to face with competitive eating?
1: Uh, In terms of sort of like what was the hardest thing to get through or or what have been the biggest challenges in just dealing with competitive eating?
2: Dealing with competitive eating, like the aftermath as well because I know you just, you got the the tough part in between and then you got the aftermath. So how do you... How do you heal yourself and then you want to do it again because...
1: Yeah. Now there, there have been plenty of times where six hours after a challenge, I haven't wanted to do them ever again. And and to be honest, like I think the worst thing is I learned, learned early on like to try and do daytime challenges. If you do a six, seven o'clock at night challenge and then try and lay down to sleep in three or four hours, forget about it. Yeah. Just because horizontally you're not digesting as quickly things settle your digestive system slows down during sleep patterns and so on more than one occasion i've kind of done a night challenge got until 11 or 12 Gone, man i have to go to sleep i have work the next day or something go to sleep two hours time you wake up you're sick because mm. you, your body's just like whoa you weren't ready to to, to sleep but m- mentally you're tired because all of your blood is going to your digestive system to try and Do things so you feel drowsy, but you can't physically lay down and sleep without creating issues. Um, I think. So, what are some of the issues that your body faces? Oh, look, I'm not going to say like delirium or anything, but certainly sweats. Like your your core body temperature raises ridiculously. Uh, I think bloat is a huge thing. Like I've had had rib pain because sort of just your diaphragm can't expand as much as your stomach wants it to. Yeah. And then the issue is if, if you want to be true to it, like there are some people that will voluntarily evacuate to ease pain. If you're trying to see it through, then it's just nothing happens quickly. So you're looking at 12 to 24 hours of uh, bloat, gas, potentially diarrhea or vomiting, um, sweats. I know like I've done a couple of chili challenges before oh, I can't where see the, the I can't sweat, like even your perspiration stings. So the yeah. backs of your oh. knees, in your elbow, like in the inside of your elbows is stinging for 12 hours. You can get like sort of rashes from the sting because it's it's technically like a burn and that's not even including like touching your eyes, going to the bathroom.
2: Jeez.
1: Yeah. So it, it is like... No one, I mean, there was a, a female just recently on Australia Day passed away from competitive eating. Really? She choked during a, a lamington eating competition, mm-hmm. blocked her airway. So I never I never tell everyone to like do it willy-nilly, don't do it if you're not serious about it. Whenever we did it, like we went in, we prepped for it, we prepared with the, the outcome, we had a strategy and, and so touch wood, fortunately none of my friends or I ever really got seriously injured.
2: So how many? do you know how many competitive eaters there are now?
1: Uh, I couldn't tell you like a, an exact number. I'd, I'd say there's easily like 30 in Australia that identify as competitive eaters and do it regularly. Wow. There's, there's always like your your dark dark and stormies. Is that the, the word where like they've never done it before, they come out, they win something or do really well or something and then they'll never do it again. They're just like, oh, right time, right place or it may dare me to do it. And you're like, part of you would like them to sort of persist because whatever... Grows the sport or grows the the industry is good for it, but at the same time, everyone's competition. Mm. And if there's a chance that they'll get better than you or or sort of take a, a share of prize money or, or competition wins, you're also like, good. All right, just go back to your hole now. Yeah, <laughs> stay away. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How do you get better, like? Is it something because it's not like a marathon where you got to is it is it like a marathon like you got to yeah yeah certainly
1: like it's and and it depends on what your your strengths and weaknesses are like there are some guys that can eat food really quickly they just that that mouth to stomach like gullet area is is ridiculous but then they might not be able to eat as much there are some guys that can't eat quickly but could just eat nonstop for forty five minutes and rack up a ridiculous billet at sushi train so. I think it depends on whether you want to be like all around and so you you do a little bit of everything or you focus, like you find what you're good at and you just hone it and hone it and hone it. Certainly with capacity stuff, like a lot of people just do water training, which is just the practice of consuming like more and more water on a regular basis, overloading the stomach, stretching it. But with with it being water, like obviously it's, it's there's no calories. So your body will just... Pass it through. Yep. If you tried uh, capacity training with food, then you just you'd forever be in a world of pain because your body just takes so much longer to
2: hundred percent
1: to yeah pass yeah. food.
2: So what's what's the best thing in your experience? What's the best food that you've ever had?
1: Oh, uh, to do a food challenge! To do a
2: food challenge.
1: nah surprisingly like as nice as ice cream is i did one in in san francisco and the sugar spike and the drop in body temperature because it was already a cooler day and it was a half hour challenge and i reckon 20 minutes in my friend and i had physical shakes um, my teeth were chattering (laughs) and and you're trying to eat and we were recording it and you're trying to like save face and people are watching and then the after effect of like just the sugar drop after it, like because it spikes so that much and then comes down. Up. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think anything where there's like variety, it's, it's why burgers are good because burgers have a good ratio usually of different elements that you can break up flavors. The mm. the things that are, are a struggle are things that deteriorate quickly. So pizza is great while it's hot. But if you're eating pizza for half an hour and the crust cools, the toppings cool, it goes from really enjoyable to like really chewy and difficult quite quickly. And also just if if you've got sort of like a metre of pizza and it's all one topping and it's maybe a topping you don't like, like imagine eating a, a one-metre anchovy olive pizza with artichokes and you're yep. like, I don't like any of that. But that's the challenge. Certainly, I mean, there's a couple of great... German beer hall challenges going around where you might have to eat half a kilo of sauerkraut. I could do that. I'm not personally, I'm not a beer drinker. So they all come with like a a liter stein of beer. Some of the hardest challenges I've ever had to get through were drinking a liter of German beer when you're not a beer drinker after eating food. So you're already squeamish. (laughs) And the last thing, because you've left it till last, because you don't want to eat it or drink it. Goodness me. Yeah. So I, could, I think, it's, I, think it's,
2: I could do the sauerkraut because I love my sauerkraut. Yeah, but beer, I can't. I can't do like the that.
1: bathrooms weren't nice after that challenge. Oh, trust no. me. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you been doing it for now?
1: Uh, I'm I'm slowly sort of like easing out of it just because of my age and and family and, and work priorities. But I probably started ten years ago when I was. I'm 28 now. I probably started when I was 18, 19.
2: So you're still very young.
1: Yeah, so, fortunately, I don't. Th- I, I don't think it's. A sport that sort of seniors or they're not going to have like a masters games for competitive eating anytime soon. Mm.
2: So, Sammy, as well for you, your Instagram is Sammy eats a lot too. Are you into the competitive eating challenge things, or you just like
1: eating a lot of food?
0: No, I like I, I'm in this purely by um, peer pressure.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how did you feel when we first met and you sort of were public? And present for a few of my first eating challenges.
0: Yeah, look, I was pretty horrified because I think the very first one we did was Miss America's, Mm. yeah, and they brought out this huge, huge burger for him and it looked like it was a loaf sized burger. And people stare and I'm a fire sign, so I get fired up when people stare (laughs) and I'm like, what are you looking at? What are you staring at? But he's just like, that's just
2: the the
0: spectacle of of like of what he does and I think now I've just eased up and I'm used to it but every now and then I still give the stink eye I'm like, what are you looking at?
2: So what's going through your brain when Isaac's eating all that food? Like,
0: Well, I'm glad that we have a second toilet <laughs> so he can't use our bathroom. But um, look, at, at the start I was a bit mortified because we just started dating and I'd never seen that before apart from man versus food. So um. It is a bit confronting, especially the first time my kids saw it because Mm. the first time they saw it, they did it at Bar Luca and his burger was so huge that all these other people were taking photos of it and, like, they're just these quiet little kids from, like, Western Sydney. They're like, what the hell is going on? But I think now they just take it in their stride and they're like, oh, yeah, my stepdad's on Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) that's
2: good. Um, Now, I want to talk about this media company for a moment. So how did that all get started?
1: So obviously like the, yeah, the, I had the personal Instagram and it was doing well by the time I started the media company and, and it really came to fruition out of necessity. So there was a period of time where I was still working casual kitchen work here in Sydney and our son, um, Teddy, was born premature, so he was born 27 weeks or 27 and a half weeks. 26. 26. Yeah. Um. And, like, I was blessed in the sense that I was working in Liverpool and he was in Liverpool Hospital, so that was great. But then the reason for his premature birth was my wife had a cancer scare. She was diagnosed with um, stage
0: 3 cervical Do you mind talking a little
1: bit about that? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. So I was in a position where, like, in a kitchen job, it's not sort of an office job where you can do it from home. It's not something that I could just walk out on if the hospital called. And I was looking at my options and I already had, obviously the knowledge of how to use social media through my own personal accounts. Mm. And I had friends that owned venues that I was eating at regularly to help promote anyway, that I kind of just had the idea that, and and social media is not for everyone. You could be a great restaurateur, you can be an amazing chef, have zero tech skills, zero ability of taking a good photo. So I just kind of pitched to a couple of them, look, you don't look like you're enjoying it or you don't look like you've got the time to commit to it would you pay me X amount to sort of handle your social media and and manage it? And in a way, it made me realize like that I could work mobile, flexible hours, spend more time with my my son at the hospital or or when he came out of hospital. It it freed up my wife to sort of get the treatment she needed or, or not have the responsibility of a child with her. So it was it was really born out of necessity in the early days. And then I think just through results, success, and persistence, it kind of grew and grew and grew over the years.
2: So what's the secret of a good social media presence or getting a lot of following and for you? Like
1: Well, I think I think from day one on any social media, like contents king, you can you can be persistent, you can have a great personality. If you're posting photos or videos that people don't engage with or it isn't eye-catching then just give up Mm. like I think you're wasting your time and that's where my skill set probably has benefited venues the most like the ability to capture photos and videos of food in its most gluttonous or its most (laughs) sensual (laughs) satisfying nature and uh then obviously like you you can't just be a facade. So you've got to have a, a good restaurant that backs up whatever you're putting out there. And just consistency. Like posting one amazing picture a month isn't good enough. Yeah. Because the cafe that's posting average quality content every day in your face is gonna be at the front of your brain when you go, I need a coffee or let's go get a burger. So it's just the the marriage of like really good quality content and then consistently sharing it and mm-hmm. And engaging with people.
2: So we'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to sort of touch on the cancer scare. So, what can you talk to me about what happened with that? Like,
0: um, okay, so on Christmas Eve, I, I started having contractions and I was like, no, no, this can't be. But yeah, by the, by the next morning, I was like, okay, kids, you have to go to your dad's because I need to go to the hospital. Um, and then when I got there, I was in labor, they slowed it down and But then my water broke on Christmas night and I had Teddy the next morning. And when they, because he was so premature, like he was three months early, I was due to have him in March and I had him in December. Um, And he was no bigger than a bag of sugar when he came out. Like he was one kilo. Um, And then when they tested like my bloods, my placenta and everything, they realised that, like, I had cancer. Like, when I was in labour, the obstetrician had said, look, there's a there's a lump I want you to go get checked, but no one picked that up prior. Like, I had plenty of scans, my pap smears were up to date, but no one picked up the fact that I had cancer. And, um, and then when they decided, like, when they found out that I had, I went through all the staging and it was pretty advanced. I was mm. at stage 3B.
2: So what was going through your mind when you initially found out that, oh, it's cancer? Um,
0: I like, I, like. First and foremost, I still had a baby in hospital. Mm. The baby was going to be in hospital for at least close to three months. So we had him as our priority and the second priority was I'll start treatment straight after. Because he's in NICU, I couldn't have radiation or chemo or still go to see him. Mm. So I made him my, my first priority. Priority to worry about, and then I started second. So as soon as he came home, I started chemotherapy and radiation. Was there
2: always a fear with Teddy being premature? Was there always a fear that you would might you might lose him early? Or
1: yeah, yeah, there was, there was like I remember it still in the NICU ward, there's there's a big wall that has little sort of badges on it of all the premature babies and the weeks that they were born, wow. and I think probably out of hundred badges. Teddy would have been fourth or fifth for like most premature born the day and still sort of survive. I, I don't think they they listed the the babies that didn't survive, unfortunately. Mm. But there it was it was confronting, and it being my first child, like any childbirth, I think would have been confronting. But mm. for it to have been under the circumstances, it was it was it was like I was shitting myself, yeah. honestly. And then not. Being able to connect with your baby when it's your first straight away, and and seeing it struggle and and things like this,
0: just connected up to tubes.
1: Yeah, it's it's it just wrenches at your heartstrings. But uh, it, it was just a double whammy. Like
2: yeah.
1: we we had him at the 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 foremost of our thoughts, but in the back of your head, then we know like it's not the end of it. Like even yeah. if he makes yeah. it through,
0: yeah.
2: My goodness, that's yeah. that's an incredible. Story right there. Like, how did you guys get over all that? Like, was there a support system in I place? Ate <laughs> 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 I ate food. <laughs> I he ate food.
1: The, the day that she gave birth and transferred from uh, Campbelltown to Liverpool, I came home for the night, and I think it was. Boxing day. Yeah. So everywhere was shut. I stopped in Woodbine where there's a KFC, a Macca's, a Red Rooster, and a Pizza Hut. And I think I just went to every corner. Yeah. And ate burgers on all of them, <laughs> came home, had a shower, got a bag, went back to the hospital.
0: Yeah. That's 100% <laughs> goodness it. me. Yeah. He just yeah. eats his feelings. That's how he.
2: <laughs> right. Seriously. My. So ice cream is not your comfort food. It's burgers.
1: But well, burgers. Now I'm at a point where. I, I really eat for content and so ice cream is never going to be of value to me secondhand as, as Instagram content. I think comfort food-wise, like because of my work in pastry and chocolate, like I'm always going to be a fat kid. Yeah. I'm, when we go to a cafe for brunch, we'll always get an order and it's like big breakfast with bacon and the petite French toast with dolce de leche and they bring it out and they try giving Sam like the sweet and me the big brekkie and we're like, oh, no, it's the, it's the other way around. Can I get the one with the edible flowers things? And, and like the one with the extra bacons for my wife, yeah.
2: Wow. So <laughs> that's so good. Um, so with that, I, I guess the journey of getting over um, Teddy, did he start to like rapidly improve or how long did it take for him to actually
0: Improve he he was get a, a fighter, point. so he was yeah. meeting the milestones as they required. Like he came off his oxygen, he was feeding. It was more so size because he was born so early, he was so small. It's because
1: he's half Asian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> don't,
1: don't blame the prematureness for <laughs> your undersized Um
0: But, yeah, like he... He hid his milestones within within their parameters and then he got to come home. And even when he still came were, home, he was tiny. There
1: were, well, there was always the fear, though, like of underdeveloped organs still.
0: Yeah.
1: Like even when he was in hospital, they thought they found, was it his brain or his, yeah, his he
0: lung? Yeah, he had a bit, little brain bleed. Oh. Um, and then he had to keep getting injections to grow his lungs. And when you're in the NICU, you've got corridors from like, okay to worst case scenario we were in the last so it was hard coming in and then you'd see other little babies around him and then the next day they weren't there anymore hmm. so um like we were blessed in the sense that he he never had us like he never went backwards he always yeah. went forwards in, in progressing um but still it was really stressful like I used to just come home and just bore my eyes out because like people wouldn't Look, people I'd see for that I hadn't seen them for a little while. They're like, "Oh, where's your baby?" And it's like, "Oh, my baby's in hospital, um, but he should come home soon." But it was a really long wait to come home with him. And then even when he did come home, like you'd shit yourself and think, "Like, what if something wrong happens during the night?" Because you were so reliant on doctors, doctors and nurses to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he's perfect. It's about fine. putting
2: your trust and your faith in the doctors to help your baby, and yeah. you're yeah. trying to get some rest at the same time, and you've also got the knowledge that you've got cancer and you got to deal with that hurdle. Yeah. So after you got through everything with Teddy,
0: mm-hmm.
2: what happened with the? Um. Cancer? So when
0: he when he got home, I started all the tests for staging. Um. So I had a couple of um like. Day surgery is going in. So on our very first day surgery, they they do all sorts of tests and they actually gave me a pregnancy test. And at that point, I was pregnant again. Wow. Yeah, I'm like fertile. It's ridiculous. Yes. I'm ridiculously fertile. <laughs> so in, in the first staging... Um, procedure they realized I was pregnant again and the doctor said look you really need to do this we need to see how far you are the the baby probably won't survive and at that point I was I had to put myself first because I had four other children at home and I said yeah that's fine um and then two weeks later they do another scan to see whether or not um, everything like there's no, like no longer a baby and there was a heartbeat so like even though like my cervix was Chernobyl at that point, there was still a viable heartbeat and, and then that's when the doctors had to have the discussion with us that I had to have a medical termination in order to finish my staging and then start treatment because irregardless of whether I kept it or not, they said that if I was to see the pregnancy out, I may not survive. Well, they,
1: they were giving Christmas. you, when they first diagnosed you, like six to 18 months. Yeah. Wow. Because it was advanced stage three. And, and the joke of it, not the joke of it because I shouldn't laugh, but like... Talking about how fertile she is, she when, when we decided we were going to try for a child, she came off a contraceptive method that she said in the past took 6 to 12 months for her hormones to kind of kick back in and we conceived like the next week. <laughs> but in, a, in, in a hindsight, like if we hadn't conceived so damn quickly and Teddy hadn't been born prematurely at 27 weeks, knowing that at that stage it was advanced stage 3 cancer, like if all of the cards hadn't kind of lined up, then she may have just kind of never known about the tumour until it was too late
0: mm.
1: or just never known about it. And one day we come home, she's sort of passed out on the, the tiles and we're like, oh, well, Sam's Not had too well. much to drink.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, so it's, it's, it's funny, like all of the, the trauma and all of the, the hurdles we've gone through kind of if it wasn't for all of them, yeah, things would have been completely different.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: So what was going through your mind when you had to make the decision to put yourself first and this time terminate the baby mm. inside?
0: Look, it, it was hard but like I thought to myself, I've got four kids at home. So it's like do I have one more that potentially grow up without a mother um, or do I um, terminate and then still like put up a good fight to be here for my four other children. Mm. And and it, like there'll be people that are like pro-choice and that sort of thing or anti-abortion. But at the end of the day, like I had to make a decision for my kids and, and that's what the decision was. Like I needed to be here for them and, and really try to survive because I was at the point where I was like, do I even want to do this to my body because chemo and radiation, like – even though it's there to like kill your cancer, it leaves like such un- like damage afterwards, so much damage. So mm. um, there, are, there are things where I was like I wish I didn't have to go through that but if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be here today.
2: Mm. So what was it like having to go through the chemo?
0: Oh, look, it was really tiring. Like you've got a newborn baby and three other kids at home. So I'd have chemo and radiation on a Monday and then radiation every other day, except for the weekends. And then for the last three weeks, I had to have brachytherapy, which is internal radiation, where I went and had surgery. Like I'd go in, Isaac had dropped me at Liverpool Hospital at um, quarter to six, I was quarter to seven in the morning. And I'd be um like self-medicating and they just put like they put rods up in your cervix to implant radiate radiation pods um and then you just come home and you just feel dreadful. but, but you, how,
1: how much did you try working through all of that like you were still working?
0: Oh no, I went back to work two weeks after I yeah. so what two, were you two doing weeks for off work? yeah
1: what were you doing for work?
0: I worked at the university so I was working as village manager for Campbelltown Bankstown. Um, with the residential students that still lived up there. So I went went back to work two weeks after I finished treatment. Um, Yeah, I did ask for a little bit longer, but unfortunately due to business needs, they did.
1: And it was just difficult to, like, we'd we'd had sort of time off because of his birth and and paternity leave and stuff to be at the hospital. Hmm. So I think we'd kind of not, it's not that we'd exhausted the sympathy card, but, because the two incidences were so close together, like you had exhausted sick leave. And because we we were providing for four kids in a rental, we couldn't afford to take too much of a hit income-wise because whether I was chefing or doing the media business, like Mm. neither are exactly rolling in the the pineapples. Mm. So um, it it was, again, like kind of a necessity that you needed to go back to To work, but it just wasn't great, I think, in your recovery because then it was another stress, another physical exertion.
0: Yeah, So I was just so tired and sick. But, like, you, you don't show that when you go there because I think um, a lot of people's con- like, misconception of having cancer is you being bald and, and, and frail. And I was like I had hair and I was still fat because I was pumped full of steroids mm. every day. Um, so... Like even though like I had a pick line in my arm um, for where they would connect up, like when people would see me, they'd go, "Oh yeah, she's fine. She just looks tired, and she's probably tired because of uh, like a, a young baby." But no, I was tired because I was just full of toxins mm. and um in cancer at that point. So
1: and even even now, but I think there's a perception like, "Oh, you have cancer, or you don't have cancer. Mm. Like you're, you're sick or you're cured." And it's it's not the cancer; it's the eighteen to like 18 months to two years afterward where your body has gone through so much Mm. and you've altered it in ways that sometimes are sort of irreversible or or unrepairable Mm. that people still go to me like, oh, and, and, you know, Sam's good now, like after the cancer. And I'm like, yeah, like the cancer's touch wood in remission, but it's the, the, the ulcerations or the this or the that from that are all after effects of, of chemo and radiation that, are probably more harm or, or more like have impacted her life more now than the two or three months of mm. the harsh treatment event. Yeah. Cause wow. like
0: it does like doing all that, it does send you into early menopause. So I went into menopause at like at the age of like 32, 33 and then, like, I, because of the radiation and it, it being where it is, like, I had, like, third-degree burns on my colon. So even to just to go to the bathroom, I'd have to take painkillers and bite down on, like, on on my shirt. And it was just people don't realise that that's, like, what you have to go through. They just think, oh, you go and, like, you get your chemo and then you're yeah. done. But, like, it's just it's so much pain. But, like, you just get through it because you've got kids and you've got to just... You try not to see, like let them see you suffer as much as like you're suffering behind closed doors. Mm.
2: Incredible power behind that sort of determination and mentality. I've got a couple of friends of mine that did have to go through cancer themselves and I had a friend of mine that had a very, very premature little baby. It was so tiny mm. and just seeing like you see it in their eyes. You see it. like The resilience, Yeah. yeah it's like we're we're, we've got to it's determination for them like it's the human intuition human resilience is absolutely incredible like so what year
1: was this when did that happen
0: 2017
2: Mm.
1: yeah
0: was when we went because teddy was born boxing day 2016
1: yeah so so all the treatment stuff happened 2017 and my true crew media like the media business started january 1st 2017 so literally five or six days after Teddy was born, we made the decision like, all right, we need to change things you know, to make roll. it yeah. to make it work,
2: yeah. And are you still doing the university stuff now? Or? No, I'm
0: actually working in real estate.
2: <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Now you're speaking my language. Yeah. I, used to, I used to do real estate, yeah. <laughs> I used to work for McGrath uh, for about seven months. Yeah. So in the Carson Hill district. Or, Sorry? In leasing or No, or in actual sales. sales. Or, yeah, in sales. Yeah, nice. so I did quite, quite well in that and, you know, things didn't really work out too well with, boss I had um so decided to move on and I'm sort of doing like consultancy thing so I got my full license I've just got to
1: find a realtor find a place to
2: use it you know I still got that sort of skill set and the drive you know I just one of those hidden talents you don't know about until you actually do it yeah and I enjoyed the process of sitting down with people talking to them and Hearing their story as Would well. Would
1: you ever do you think that's it's the same skill set for real estate as like say car sales? Or do you think they're similar but different?
2: Similar but different. And I'm saying that because for real it depends on the person. Yeah. Like for me, I'm I always put my integrity above everything. So I made sure that before I told someone this, I knew that if I wasn't gonna buy it myself, I'm not gonna sell yeah. it you know there's no point in me telling you a lie just for the sake of this because then i'd ruin my reputation i'd ruin my integrity i'd be known i wouldn't be able to live with myself yeah. yeah i'm not i'm not that sort of person you know like i've never have been always been brought up with that mentality or that good character you know like you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated at the same time yeah so i think the reason why i did really well was because people sort of they resonated and they they appreciated the fact that I was actually an honest salesman. Yeah. Even though my boss would tell me oftentimes and he put me in situations where yeah. he wanted me to lie. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that, you know.
0: It's such a large investment though. That, that That Like you can't lie to them because they're, they're putting like everything that they've saved for it,
1: into that. It's the difference also just between like I bet you look at them as people with families and whatever whereas i think the boss probably looks at them as just a sale yeah Yeah. you're you're not mary and joe you're sale 378 Mm. and so it's easier like they just disconnect the minute you you like uh look at them as humans then you have empathy and and stuff and so then you do care about them and so you care about making sure that they're getting a good deal and and so I i think it's just Integrity. Okay, yeah. Like you were I lo- saying. I think, loved
2: it. Honestly, like being able to help people, like that was my mantra. Yeah.
1: yeah. I feel like once once you're not typecast, but like I've seen some of your previous <laughs> podcasts and I think what what people need to show the public for their business or for their personality and what the real story is, there's often a disconnect. Yeah. And so I think you being able to show the real story and sometimes it's the nitty-gritty and sometimes it's the quaint and quirky, but... It's just it, it. helps some people probably fill in the dots, and and it is. It's you know it's it's one thing to be popular or, or get likes on Instagram, but if you know the backstory to that person, you can look at them in a completely different way.
2: Hundred percent. Like the podcast has never been clickbait. Yeah. Famous. Never in my wildest dreams. Like when I first started this, had, a, had an audience of twenty. Now it's grown to about over a hundred. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 honest with the numbers, with what's going on, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Because what's the point in not being honest? Mm. Like yeah. you want to be really bullshit. Yeah. yeah, don't don't do that. Like you people resonate with honesty. No one likes someone that lies to them directly in the face.
1: Like you watch fake shit. There's like MTV. <laughs> yeah, there's there's the news every yeah. single night. Yeah, like
2: you just sit there and watch it. Like. There's so much power with media these days, as well, that creates so much negativity. You're always getting and a
1: slanted story, depending on hundred percent which side's right. paying the bill.
2: Yeah, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. Yeah. I think it's just drama to draw people in, and the media gets paid millions for for that. Whereas I want to share the real story. I want to reach as many people as I possibly can. With the, if the if the podcast goes out fantastic you know it's not going to change my mission or my who's, vision
1: who's your like not like dream list but like someone you think your top three probably possible people to get on the podcast so like don't go saying donald trump but like oh, no, no. <laughs> people that you think with with a bit of effort you could actually get on the show that you want on the show to either learn more or just get the opportunity to kind of probe on with some questions which three people? that's a
2: very good question because i've thought about this so many times and I'm a lover of film, always have been. I think, like my the number one person I put down on my list was Steven Spielberg. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. I was gonna say Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was gonna say
2: Hugh. Jackman. I, I know, so, I know <laughs> Hugh Jackman as well. Like he was on, he was on there, but he was like way down the list. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I do, my uncle's he's in the industry, so he knows all these people, and he could possibly yeah, right. link, link me
1: up. Certainly, like when he, would you have to go to him or you think you could nab him when he's in Australia or something? <laughs> I would probably like,
2: you know, I've been reaching out through Instagram. It's been incredible. Yeah. Like the people that do reply. So I think if I was to like tell someone or, you know, like this is my my goal. Yeah. Can you make it happen for me? Yeah. Then mate, who knows? Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. You, you don't. You gotta you know, try. Like yeah. you gotta put yourself out there. That's, sure that's you, what I did. You might get like,
1: ignored. You might get rejected. You might like certain agents might be rude to you. But on the off chance that someone intercepts the message directly or, or they're mm. in a good mood that day that they open their inbox, then they sort of give you the opportunity, mm. run with it. You got yeah. to run with it.
2: My grandfather used to always say to me, he's like, Jared, you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So if you want to ask, you put yourself out there, what's the worst I can do? Say no? Yeah. That's yeah. all right. <laughs> you go find something else. Yeah. You know, like I was in a cinema. Like I didn't think that you were actually going to reply no. to my message. I was in the cinema about to watch um, Just Mercy, and I get a response I think within five six minutes saying you're interested. I I'm like on my phone. So
1: <laughs> six minutes is I a like, than usual. I'm I sorry. was like,
2: Dan, that was quick. I yeah. was saying to my mum next to me, I'm like, I got so Isaac eats like this. This is amazing. Like it's gonna it's cool. <laughs> I didn't know what to really say. Yeah, like, no. and you know, like it's people like yourself that you know have an audience, have a story to share. That I'm able to do this kind of thing, you know, because yeah. if it wasn't, if people didn't say yes to me, then I wouldn't be able to do it really nah, Just, of course, yeah yeah, so going yeah, back yeah, to your yeah, question yeah. the other got two Spielberg. I got Spielberg, I got Tony Robbins, yeah, and there's one person that I think it was either John Howard because he was like, no it wasn't John Howard.
1: Can you do the whole podcast walking around Sydney Harbour in Wallabies tracksuits? <laughs> yeah, you, you can't do a podcast with him if you don't do the whole podcast right. walking.
2: Okay, um,
1: I'll be there to live story. Just let me know. okay, we'll do
2: that. All right, that's that's a goal. Okay, uh, who else was it? So it was Spielberg, Tony Robbins. Can't
1: think. Where, of it. where do you draw the line, like? do you have any issues talking about your strong integrity and ethics and stuff? Like say you got Israel flail, very, very, but would you have any issue hitting those like religious questions where, you know, you're going to offend some people, you could alienate some people. Absolutely just straight not. I'd,
2: to it. I'd do it. And I'm, I'm to get him on yeah. and talk about his story. Cause at mm. the end of the day, it's a story. He's yeah. sharing it from oh, his. And he's per- obviously
1: got a strong yeah. opinion. So if you're giving him a platform to share his opinion, then
2: 100. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna share it. He shares he shares yeah. it now at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. all I'm doing is I want to hear his story from yeah, his you, perspective. Give him the
1: chance not- to not give a slanted version. Yeah. Through the media. 100.
2: Yeah. Like everyone's got there. It's always two sides to a story. Mm. You know, oftentimes we only see what we're meant to see. Yeah. Or what we're allowed to see. You know, we don't. But if we actually go to the person and we ask them ourselves, it might be completely different. Yes. You know, so giving them an opportunity, like I'm trying to get Martin Lyles as well. He's the leader of the Christian oh, right. lobby. Yeah. So he goes on, he supports um, Israel Flow and, and all that sort yeah, of stuff Martin. as well. Yeah. So you know, being able to hear their story of where they came from, it's, it would just be amazing. You know? like yeah, he's, yeah. he's a very intellectual person. Very intelligent. Um, I think I'd be wouldn't even come up <laughs> anywhere close to. Do you, do
1: you, have you come across it yet? But where you get deep into a conversation with someone, and as much as you try and stay Switzerland and neutral, you do just find that like your opinions clash or your beliefs differ to theirs, and you kind of have to bite your tongue because you feel yourself all, all correcting the time, them? Like
2: all the time. Like um, it, it happens. Yeah. Like you just have to realize that you know I'm more understanding now than I was before. Like everyone's got their own belief system. I appreciate the fact that you've got your own belief system just as much as you appreciate mine. Yeah. You know, it's that respect, I think. If you show that to people, then it's all right. Like you can still be friends with people even though you differ on ideas and all that sort of stuff. And you can still have a conversation. Um like I loved debate in school. Like it was one of my favorite things. Not that I debate like with people on on issues or anything. It's just we're having a general conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. The intelligence, I think,
1: of conversation and and probing and.
2: Yeah, asking questions because the more questions you ask people, then the more you're going to get out. I think, like you're doing now. (laughs) So,
1: no. This is our podcast. (laughs) We're asking him questions now.
2: Yeah, we switched it around now. (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I enjoy meeting new people, it's given me, getting me out of my comfort zone as well. Like, yeah. whereas before I wasn't able to do that. Yeah. Like I would like freeze. Mm-hmm. I think being in real estate as well, the necessity of having to be there.
1: Yeah.
2: My first day I was thrown in the deep end. I didn't actually have my license at all. And I went and did an open home. You're not allowed to give advice to people, your uh, own unlicensed. opinion, unlicensed. Yeah. So like doctors with their, their <laughs> stuff. Yeah,
1: like, yeah.
2: So I was like literally no so comment. nervous, no comment. Didn't, didn't say anything. She, my, boss, my boss's wife was just like, stick to the facts, you'll be right. But they don't want to hear the facts. Nah. The minute they, they ask wanna, a question, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh no, <laughs> what am I going to do? So I was like, I didn't want to lie to them and I didn't want to get myself in trouble. So it was like a sticky situation trying to navigate. Um, good times. <laughs> good times. So... I think finishing up because I am mindful of your guys' time as well. So, what are some things besides food that you're sort of passionate about, and why?
1: Uh, I'd like to say travel, but I really just travel for the food. <laughs> That's
0: <a good>
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I, I never thought food food is always going to be second to family. Like the minute I had a child, I. I always wanted children but until I had my own child um I don't think I could describe to someone the like the feeling of just it still can't put a word on it but being a dad yeah. well yeah just that sense of of creation of 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 absolute responsibility like I've had puppies I've had this I've had that and you know what like you look at them and as much as you love them they've got an infinite lifespan they're relatively dependent at the end of the day, they could fend for themselves. Whether whether it would have been regardless or whether because Teddy was premature, just the vulnerability and knowing that, like, that's now your vulnerability mm. as well. Mm. So I think, yeah, travel and, and family probably.
0: Yeah. Because sports like,
1: is a hobby, but I'm kind of shit at sports, so. all of the So how do you keep, like, like, fit? Like, do you work out and? Yeah, yeah, like, I've... I, I like. I grew up playing sport in Queensland, and so I've always enjoyed it. And then, obviously, working pastry and and away in Melbourne, the the seasons weren't as conducive to it. So I kind of got a gym membership, started just working out, and now it's just part of like a regular lifestyle thing. I'm, I'm obviously I'm never going to be a bodybuilder. I'm never going to be uh, the next like Chris Hemsworth or anything. But it's just a maintenance thing. I it, it's a good time to clear your head and, and I'm aware like I always do a first thing in the morning. I know exercise is good for like endorphin release and and things like that. So it chops and changes like I'll go through periods where I really get into weightlifting and then I'll go through periods where it's more cardio And but it's just a, a regular lifestyle balance mm. about in and out and an hour without kids once a day.
2: <laughs> Getting your mind sort yeah. of focused and re-energized. Uh, fine are you a five AM person? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Mm. Get up, get out there.
1: If 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 you don't do it, I think you're just always gonna find the excuse. Uh, 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 t- yeah. Whereas you get it done out of the way, like no matter what else happens for the rest of the day, it's done. Mm. If you get more done, great. If you sit literally still for the rest of the day, well you got something done this morning.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's good. How about for yourself, Sam?
0: Um, I used to play hockey. I, okay. I had a break last year, but um, I play goalkeeper for a local club, East. Um, so the kids play as well. So it's it's just a bit of a family thing that oh, we do. Yeah.
1: yeah. Good, good. You, and you've caught the travel bug now, haven't
0: you? Yeah. So now that we've been to New York, we're going back again this year. Um, Isaac's going to eat. I'm going to <laughs> shop. So... <laughs> He was like, oh, "Are you going to come for the afternoon?" And I was like, "No, I'm going to meet you back at the hotel later on, and I'll do my own thing." But yeah, yeah I think last time we were there, what was it? How long? Five days. Yeah. And it did what? Fifty-one.
1: Fifty-one venue visits in five days. In five days. Yeah. I'm and lost
2: for words. Like you can see my face
1: right now, my, like the uh, planning was like I'd spreadsheeted it. I had maps yes. with dots it and it logistics, which trams to get on. Yeah. Contact details for managers and stuff I needed to talk to. It was very... Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Our poor arteries by the end of that. Was Your crazy.
1: poor arteries. You're like, <laughs> I just want a bite of all the good bits. <laughs> Thanks. And I, now I want more of the nice one I had. It was
0: literally a bite of all the good bits and spending the rest of my time at Jollibee in Times right. Square. So, okay, what's what's
2: the best restaurant or cafe you've ever been to?
1: Oh. Shameless plug.
0: Australia. I don't own
1: any of them, so they can all pay me more money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nah, look, I think they've all got strengths and weaknesses. Like, we're we're really close friends with um, the owners of Burger Point Marston Park, Mm -hmm. and they were like significantly they were my first ever social media client. Yeah, they they were with us through sort of Teddy's birth, Sam's treatment. Mm -hmm. Ironically, like they're probably my best performing client. They've also done, you know, like they're about to open shops three and four this year. They've done so well. They're, there's there's potential. Like they're getting interest from America for franchises. They're looking well, at the Philippines. Yeah. So although I'm not,
0: they're open to ideas though, and in yeah. I think, like in like I think they're trusting, success, like being open to those ideas and taking those risks is is what's going to like benefit you. Yeah. They're actually plus the food's really good. Yeah, hundred oh, really percent. Yeah. Like,
2: I remember when. Uh, that first opened and the everyone Marsden Park because Mar- yeah. I'm like right down the road. It was road like a, a barren it's nothing. Like, there was just go. Ikea. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I couldn't get over when we first met them and it was really just nothing on, on Richmond Road but the Ikea and the Costco I don't think was even there. No, it was Ikea, IKEA and the Homemaker Centre and you're like, oh, this is in the middle of nowhere. This is shit. And you drive out there now three years on and it's just housing, housing and industry and such a boom area and you're like wow were they just really lucky or very like intuitive
2: my school is in actually in Marsden Park so yeah, right. if you it's like when i first started going there which is many many years ago now it was all bush all yeah. covered and then like they hit the jackpot because now it's like all developed yeah. and and developing so many more further families. like the yeah. closer
1: you go out to Windsor that road just gets more and more housing estates and then across to like the whole Kellyville's developed and eventually, that'll just join up. I'm sure they'll connect it to a rail system somehow. And
2: the new metro line yeah, as yeah. well. Like that's brought so many more families out. Brought so many more cafes that are popping up yeah. everywhere. Like it's this massive trend now. I'm seeing so many cafes that are popping up all around the Hills District. Like I mean, Castle Towers. If you walk yeah, into Castle yeah. Towers, there's heaps. Like yeah. you just walk around the corner, oh, there's another cafe. Okay. I
1: feel <laughs> like cafes are conducive to family areas because. The people that own and operate them probably have young families, mm-hmm. so they don't want to be out at night. The people, like bulk of their customers, like we don't go out to many dinners at all. Four kids, mm-hmm. nighttime, they start getting a bit tired. But lunches, breakfasts, it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll go out as a, as a family of six during the day, no dramas. But you start throwing you know night times into the mix, and you, you sort it of becomes like, harder. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah was- and the risk of them, you know, during winter months, the risk of them getting cold in the dark and stuff, and so, I think just cafes lend themselves to family areas and, and the new developments with all the housing estates are first homeowners, young families looking to buy. Yeah. It's the demographic. And then if you want dinner, you've still got to go to the major sort of metro areas your Parramatta's, your Castle Hill. Yeah. Your... Do you have a favorite donut place?
0: Yeah, mine's Donut Poppy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I can't go within like five kilometers of Redfern without getting her the Homer Simpson <laughs> yeah. strawberry lemonade pink donut. Homer,
0: and I'm like, What you came back empty handed,
1: yeah. (laughs) I think the only time that I was allowed to not get that was when he went through the Biscoff phase, Mm. and then I was allowed to get you like the Lotus Biscoff Biscoff. donuts, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. otherwise, I have to get whatever I want and a pink donut, yeah. Every time these
2: donuts are, oh my goodness, they're sensational.
1: If if you off the record, if you had to (laughs) eat, if you had to pick between one of, um. Roman's Croissants yeah. or one of Kenny's Donuts? Oh, don't. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> and okay, should, they, so should they collaborate and do their own Cronut together? Like,
2: I think they should collaborate. Yeah. I'm going to say, all right, because a Cronut is different to a Donut. Yeah. So I love my Cronuts just because I'm a pastry man through and yeah. through. I'm also a Donut lover. Like, okay, so...
1: can you have half of each
2: yeah just let's put it or just I love eat both bonus, like just, just gluttony just just have them both like you know i love them both equally like in saying sydney's best donuts i'd say donut puppy yeah right. and sydney's best croissants i'd say roman yeah like son of a baker like for me
1: <laughs> saved saved it well there good yes. job
2: <laughs> real estate salt me well no, it's yeah. complete honesty um so finishing up sorry um have you three bits of advice you could give to someone that is starting out going through a tough time at the moment or just needing a little bit of a boost?
1: Uh, yeah, always like I think look at look at who you surround yourself with um, because it's it's often like you can you can have a great idea and be in a good place, but if the people around you are holding you back or, or keeping you down or, or just not not being good for you in whatever space that you need that to be then it's, it's probably easier for you to change your environment and who's around you than yourself. So I think that and just the, the ability like the, the importance of a support network, mm. I think finding something that you enjoy doing or that you are inherently just good at and then trying to, you know, like five years ago, if you told me I could make money off running people's Instagram, I would have laughed at you. Mm. But I was good at it. I really enjoyed doing it. And so when I go to work five days a week now, As much as stresses come and go and employees are difficult to work with, like at the core of it, like I still love my job. I'm still like super blessed to kind of go like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm getting paid to go and work at nice cafes and venues, eat nice food. And I'm like you, like I'd rather work with good people than Mm – so there have been times where I kind of knocked money back because I don't believe that I could work with the client or, or sell the food as premium when I know it's not type thing so i think finding something you really enjoy doing and monetize it surround yourself with good people that will help in that that endeavor and then just finding balance i i still struggle it's probably the biggest struggle i have finding the balance between switching off from work and family Um, but you need balance where you need time with family you need time for yourself you need time where it's sort of uh not not unscheduled, but like sometimes you need to just be in the moment. Sometimes you need structure and, and organization. And so it's everyone's different, but once you figure out your own balance and and whether that's you know your exercise regime or your diet or whatever, like you can kind of it gives you control. Mm. And if, if you're struggling, like I feel like that feeling of not having control is what creates the most anxiety. Mm. So just start small, control what you can control, build up.
2: That's good. All good pieces of advice. Sammy, do you have any piece of advice for people?
0: Um, if you are lactose intolerant, make sure you take some lactese before digesting a lot of dairy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very wise.
1: Ironically, <laughs> none of us are lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> neither neither oh, am sure, I. Yeah. Oh.
2: So, and, um, okay, so here's a fun bit. So your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last film that you watched?
1: Last film we watched was you watched Free Willy. Yeah, watched Free, Free Willy, Willy 2. On no, Friday judgment, night. no judgment. No <laughs> judgment. Oh Teddy. Oh I actually watched I watched the Tarzan with um card Sk- Yes. Yeah? Yep. Uh, on on s- Saturday I was with was Teddy. The kids watched it when it
0: was you. Yeah,
1: it was me. Because okay. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch Blacklist while you went home. Because we're watching it together. <laughs> the things I do for relationships. Yeah. I think oh favorite actor.
0: Mine's Morgan Freeman, and I think when like if he ever does die, I'll probably cry.
2: Yeah, I think the whole world will probably cry, cry yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But my favorite movie is Mighty Ducks.
2: Ah, uh, good. Yeah. Good choice.
1: Go on, show him the picture of
0: <laughs> Goldberg. Yeah, Goldberg's an
1: iconic. <laughs> um, the irony of it all. The, ah, oh, I, I think I'm a stickler for. We, I mentioned it before, off off uh, camera to you. Like Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah, huge fan. Like Hook. My childhood is Hook. Yeah. And then you go through and like flubber and Patch Adams. Like he does serious Good Morning Vietnam stuff. He does Love comedy. Patch Adams. Oh, patch
2: Adams. Um, Gets me every time.
1: His voice. His voice control and and like Bicentennial Man. I think was one of the first movies I cried Repeat, in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, what was that other movie he was in? Um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. 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 That was my childhood. Yeah. Like, yeah. All those movies. Hundred percent. So good. Like so many good talents are going too quickly. I f- yeah. I think, yeah. You know, like.
0: It's like, are they going too quickly or are we just getting old and then we don't realise well,
1: he He lived are. a long life in terms of like Hollywood people and, and sort of sad stories. Yeah. But I think what, what concerns me is like we only found out about the darker side in the, the final years. Like how long was he living that? that like with, with Heath Ledger, I think it was quite quick. Mm. Mm. But with Robin Williams, when you start looking deeper, like maybe it was 30 years of that comedic life where, like, you're a persona on stage, you're up, you're on, you're funny, mm. off stage, you're upset, you're dark, you're... Mm. And, and, like, then you just start going, like... that Because that... We hear about it when it happens to real, like, celebrities and, and stuff. But how many people in your office at work or at the restaurant in the corner having a coffee are, like, presenting as fine and, like, really cracked, really broken? Yeah. So it's... it's yeah, it, that, I think like is the only positive to come out of those stories is like it shines a light on the the concerns that we have in society mm, 100%. Was, was there best movie best actor and something else? Oh, that's the last watched. one. Watched. Yeah. All good.
2: And what's next for both of you?
0: Still doing the same thing that you're doing now. New York in October. New York. Let's get that. We are ready to go. We're detoxing now and then we're going to get fat. You're detoxing.
1: I'm not detoxing. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've kind of, like I said to you, I I love what I'm doing right now. I've put changing like the status quo on hold until Teddy's in school. Mm. I really like the flexibility that the job gives me. And so as big a burden as it is some days with him on the road with me, being my only biological child and and health circumstances sort of not allowing us to have any more, I want to appreciate and enjoy and be there for every second that I can. Of his growing up because once he's grown up, there's no going back. Yeah. Like I can I can start a business or open a restaurant or buy a food truck, like any time from now until I die. But his childhood and those moments, like Make, we'll only ever get once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I'm I'm waiting really until he starts primary yeah. school and then we've toyed with the idea of of buying a restaurant or or investing in in something. And, and sort of just using our knowledge and, and abilities and, and platform to start the next chapter.
0: Yeah. Like I'd, I'd love to see him get like a, a little show like on SBS that follows him around with food. I'm dying for us to try to get on Gogglebox.
2: Oh, that'd be um, interesting.
0: I, I say it every year and I'm waiting for someone else to drop off. But I was like, babe, let's just get on Gogglebox. Like, like just getting on there would be such a great opportunity.
2: I've got um, one customer. more one more quick question and <laughs> yeah. it might not be quick, but how do you guys because you are rather famous on Instagram. Yeah. How do you guys manage that fame? Is there times where it becomes hard to manage or what's the sort of downside of it if there is one? <laughs>
0: oh, there is.
1: Nah, it all just goes straight to my head. I think <laughs> <laughs> I, no, no. Head so <laughs> big. I think I think the the biggest issue not, not out of like people might think that you're getting stopped in the street every day. Like I'd be lucky if once a week someone picks me out of a crowd and it's more so I think just cause I'm like, I wear the same get up everywhere I go because it's like my entire wardrobe is black burger shirts, shorts. I nearly always have a cap on. And since I've grown the mustache, like it's kind of recognizable. So I don't think Signature. it's yeah. <laughs> deliberate trademark. Um, <laughs> But no one's ever rude. Like I know myself, if if I'm in public and I see an NRL player, like I obviously recognize who they are. 90% of the time in the back of my head, I'm like, don't be that asshole that asks for a photo. Don't interrupt them on their their put. And I bet there's people out there like that to us. Some people are really polite and just introduce themselves, ask for a photo and move on. And that, you know, if you can make someone's day by doing something that small, Hmm. then you'd, you'd be an asshole kind of not to, no matter what the circumstance you were currently in. I think the the worst thing is like it makes you a target. Yeah, you don't have as much. And and celebrities go on about it all the time. But I've I've and and I'm a, I'm a I said at the start I'm water off a duck's back to me. Like from the competing days, from childhood days, my my skin is thick. So if someone calls me a name or slanders me or attacks me, couldn't give a shit. Once or twice I've gotten myself into situations where it was me versus someone else didn't think anything of it, like hell for leather. And then they've skewed and attacked my wife Mm -hmm. or attacked my family situation. And that is when I think it's the most obvious to me how vulnerable you are in the spotlight when when you're on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. Because there is no privacy. There is no... my, My account, like I'm fortunate, it's not the lifestyle type account where I'm sharing intimate things about my day. It's very food oriented, but people still kind of probe or, or know more about my life than they would the average person. Because I, I love my son, so I share him on my story when we're out eating food and, and Sam's on my story. And a lot of our, the story that we've told today has been conveyed publicly one, one way or another. But it, it's, yeah, it's just, and, and the, the laws around social media are very grey. So we we were victim at one point to a very serious attack of cyberbullying and trolling and stuff. We went to the police and they took a police report. Really did nothing. Wow. Because they were kind of like, oh, what do you want us to do? Have yeah. you asked him to stop? Yeah. Put a gun to his head, like seriously. Yeah. And and it was it was bad enough that Sam was taking days off work. She was getting friend like secondhand friends trying to defend her who were then becoming victims it was a really malicious really nasty situation and facebook instagram as much as they've got headquarters and offices they kind of like hands in the air like oh we're not responsible it's like two private parties it's your quarrel the police didn't want anything to do with it and then if you leave bullies to like sort out their own situations it's never going to solve itself and and so I think that's the, the, the biggest downside of the fame.
0: You you realise how gross people can be.
1: Just keyboard warriors. In a sense yeah. that
0: like that like there's the troll, but then there's people that egg on the troll and you look at those people Support and they've the got troll. they've got public profiles as well. Like mm. they're they're other big influences. Yeah. But I can't believe that like they try to put out a persona of themselves that like they're such good people, but then they condone those type well, of I,
1: I think it's 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 one of those instances where like oh the bully's funny until you're being bullied yeah it's all fun and games until mm-hmm. someone gets hurt
0: but yeah that was hard times that was a hard yeah. time I took a, I took a a big break from my own Instagram after that because it just you don't expect to someone attack you and he he attacked like me and my my insecurities looks like and, and not not just things.
1: surface things like yeah. if. It's, it's as if he smelt blood and sort of really went for a kill yeah. and and you just wonder like what sort of person does that yeah. like it's it's one thing like I, I'm i horrible for making like I'm that token Aussie that makes racist jokes or or very tall poppy like if you're doing well I'll slander you type thing but you've got to find a line between like don't attack and same like I'll attack the person I'm talking to face to face and I wouldn't say anything online that I wouldn't say to their face if I think they're a an idiot, yep. I'll call them an effing idiot. But I would never go like, oh, I don't like you. I'm going to find your mum. I'm mm. going to find your daughter. I'm going to find like...
2: Yeah, that's taken a bit too far. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, and
1: that's why I was so appalled that like even the police had sort of didn't want to hear about it or, or had nothing that they could do. And I think it's, it's getting better. Like I know very recently before or after our incident, like cyberbullying laws got tightened and I think the whole... Facebook live streaming thing in New Zealand and censorship is like a very prevalent topic if you could ever get someone from Facebook on a podcast just shout out Facebook um,
2: we'll see, <laughs> <laughs> you never know
1: so yeah, it's, it's just catch 22 yeah. you take the, the good times but they're bad I
2: think that's a great place to end it thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing your stories, really appreciate it thank you pleasure brother